If I could tell you some things I have learned this past year, it would be this. You are not obligated to listen to false prophecy or to those who propagate it. Find solid Bible teachers who will lead you to Christ and not to themselves. Test every word and every teaching against Scripture. Discernment is not demonic. Love God and His truth more than your favorite minister. Do not live on experiences, encounters, dreams, and visions. Stay in the Word of God daily. Read the Scriptures and ask God to write them on your heart. Disciples abide in His Word. Disciples know the truth and are not offended by it. Thank God for His Holy Word. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. So I was thinking recently about some things that I would probably title the lies I once believed. And it came from thinking about a scripture that's in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 where Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people that are listening to him. And he begins to tell them, if you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. He says that and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he's making it very clear in that passage to them when he's speaking to them that in order to be a disciple of Christ, you have to abide in the, in the word of God, the written word of God. And that when you know the truth, which is contained within the written scripture, the God-breathed word that is from God himself that was carried along, men that were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they were given scripture, which is prophecy in and of itself, then when we abide in that truth, the truth sets us free. That is the truth. The word of God contains the truth about Jesus Christ, the gospel, the kingdom of God that has come from repentance to draw men unto God to repentance and to be regenerated and renewed and that we glorify him in word and deed and all that we do that we're ultimately we were created to worship the true one and living God. And so the background that I had that I've talked about a little bit before was coming out of the hyper charismatic church. Uh, slash NAR for those that want to title that. A lot of people that are in that don't call it that. But if you're wanting to put a label on it, that's what it would be is this belief of the rising up of apostles and prophets that have come to basically dominate and that they carry the ultimate authority. And so coming out of that, there were a lot of things that I once believed that I now know are not biblically based. Not everything, because I do believe there are some things that were taught to a certain degree that were, there was partial truth in there, but partial truth is not the whole truth. That's not the full truth. And that's a problem when it's just a partial truth. Then we have a major problem on our hands because the word of God doesn't contain partial truths. It contains the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so this was one of the scriptures in John eight thirty one and 32 a couple years ago that was really like a life preserver to me when coming out of this is beginning to understand and reading the word of God and trying to make sense of what I had come out of and testing it against scripture. And when I read this scripture, it was like a breath of fresh air of going that Jesus is speaking to these people. And this is something that can be applicable to our lives is that if you abide in his word, 
you are truly his disciple. A disciple is one in the Greek, when you look up that word, is one that is um, supposed to abide by the conduct to which they are called. And so as disciples of Christ, we are called to a specific conduct, and that conduct is laid out in the confines of Scripture to where we understand how we are to conduct ourselves so that we are conformed to the image of Christ by the Spirit of God and that we testify of Christ in word and deed. We don't do that because we're trying to earn something, but we do that because we have been created as Ephesians tells us that we are created as God's workmanship to do good works and that will glorify and testify of him. And so I was thinking about John 8, 31, 32, and I was thinking about, well, you know, this next blog post that I should write, should I call it the lies I once believed? And I decided rather than to do that, it was the freedom now received because there's such freedom when you begin to walk in the, the, what the word of God says, it doesn't mean that things are easy all the time, but when you begin to understand what the word of God tells you, what the Bible tells you in context, because it is very easy to take scripture out of context, to rip it out of context and to try to make it mean something it does not mean to give it a new meaning, to put a new spin on it. When really we're disservicing people when we do that and we are really disrespecting the word of God when we do that we need to understand it in context so that way we know how to apply it to our lives as believers in Christ whether it's a historical account that we need to understand better and to understand the typology in there of where is Jesus Christ in this in the Old Testament how does this testify of him because the Bible is about God it's about the Jesus Christ and so these are things I, I thought about for a while and there were things that came to me that I wanted to share with you guys today in this podcast because it may help somebody else to think about these things and to maybe put some things in perspective. Obviously, this list is not all-inclusive. This just gives you some thoughts into maybe you've had these thoughts or maybe you've not had them and it'll, it'll kind of jog your your thinking and get you on that track of, of looking at things. One of the things I thought about was the fact of being free. It doesn't mean free to sin, free to do whatever I want, but true freedom came because I wanted to know God in the, a biblical way. I wanted to understand things in, a, in the way that, of the truth. And I began to understand that true freedom could not come to me apart from God and from his word. And when we begin to try to create our, our truth in quotes, which does not exist, there's only one truth. It's not our truth or his truth or her truth or your truth or mine. But when we're talking as Christians, this is the truth. We don't have multiple ways. There is only one way. And so this is when we start getting in trouble, when we're misappropriating scripture. And then what happens is whether... Some will agree with me on this or not. What I now understand looking for, almost as a, an observer now looking in to what I once believed about things, it really created invisible chains. It, invi it created invisible bondages because there were all these hoops I felt like I had to jump through and I didn't even realize that. I thought that I was free because I was more, quote, spiritual, spirit-filled, which that's probably another thing I can mention too that's not even on my list. It kind of is interesting when I think about it now when being in some of these movements in the uh, in hyper charismatic and these beliefs of the NAR and such, there's almost this stigma that's placed on churches that don't speak in tongues and, and don't do the 
work in the miracle signs and wonders and focused on manifestations, it's almost said that, well, not almost, but I have heard it said before, well, those other churches are dead. The spirit of God's not there. We're spirit filled. And so when you read scripture, then in context, you begin to understand, well, wait a minute, a true believer in Christ is spirit filled from the moment of salvation. They have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And what is the evidence of being spirit-filled? It's a life that's transformed by Jesus Christ, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and maturing in the things of God, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit in according, according to Galatians and walking in the ways of God to where we're demonstrating that we bear fruit with repentance, in keeping with repentance and showing that we are turning from those things that we once loved, the sin that we once loved. And now we're walking in the ways of God, that we're walking in, in demonstrating his character. We can never become God, but we are to demonstrate, put on Christ and to demonstrate his nature, to demonstrate his character and to testify of him in that. And again, that's really being spirit filled. So that's one thing. I didn't even mean to talk about that, but we can we can mention that. So the things that I once believed to be free really were deception. It was a cage that was really being built around myself. That's the best analogy I can come up with. And I was actually helping to fashion the bars in that cage. And I didn't even realize it. I thought I was free. Well, I'm spirit filled because I do A, B, and C. And these other people over here are not spirit filled because they don't do the same things. And we have all these encounters and we have dreams and visions and miracles, signs and wonders. And surely all of that is from God. How can it not be from God, right? And the Bible that I've read the Bible casually, that that's not something I'm proud to say. That's actually embarrassing. But prior to that, I would read the Bible, but I didn't study it. I didn't have it open a lot of times when I was in these services because a lot of these services were focused on experiences. They were focused on encounters. They were focused on what the next fresh word was going to be, the next fresh revelation, the next goosebump, the next pr prophetic word that was going to be spoken over one of us that, or the next prophetic word that I was going to speak that I thought that was from God and contributing things to God. And it, the list goes on and on. But there was really a cage that was being built around myself and I was creating bondages. And if I didn't have the certain manifestation or if I didn't experience something, then it was almost as if there was a bondage there. And I was helping to create those bondages and really not turning back to scripture. I love the Lord, and but there was a, a deception there at the same time, if that makes sense. So one of the first things that I thought about in I, again, I'll give this disclaimer. I understand that this type of talk upsets some people. I don't mean any ill will towards anybody when I'm saying this, but I say this in love to help others because there's a lot of deception out there and there's a lot of the right verbiage, the right talk. But when you start testing it against scripture, it begins to fall apart and the bars start coming off of the cage. And that's what happened with me after, even after I came out of what I did is when I started reading scripture and I started studying the word of God and then testing things that I had once believed or had been part of that I didn't even know I was part of some of the stuff I was part of, but I was, and really looking into it and testing it at scripture, the bars started coming off the cage. The, the lies that I once believed had been overshadowed by freedom now received through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ saved me. 
He saved me from sin. He saved me from the wrath of God. The Holy Spirit indwells me. He conforms me to the image of Christ, sanctifying me every day. And the power of his written word equips for every good work that will glorify Jesus Christ. It is not meant to glorify us. It's meant to glorify God himself. That's what we were created to do. And so though I understand that what I'm about to say may be offensive to people, my concern is not so much for that, but that I'm pointing others to Christ Jesus and to the truth of his word. One of the first things that I really started thinking about coming out of what I believed was understanding that my will cannot override God's will. If my will can override the will of God, the sovereign God who knows all things, who is in control, is infinitely greater than than anything or anyone I can ever imagine or fathom, who is the omnipotent God, the omniscient, the omnipresent God. If my little finite will can override that will, then that is a God of my own imagination, is a God of my own making, and that is not the God of the Bible. There are well-meaning people that will say things about, you know, the, the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. There seems to be this discrepancy that people make, and then there is this disdain, it seems, when people pray, thy will be done, and basically saying, well, if you pray that way, you're really, you have no power, you have no faith, tearing people down in their, in their faith, which I think that we need to understand what true faith is, and it's not faith in our words or faith in what we do or faith in our positive confessions. It's faith in Jesus Christ to save us. That's the faith that we are to have. Faith that God alone has done the work to save us and that we receive that by grace through faith in Christ alone. And again, if my will can override the will of God, then that is not the God of the Bible. Psalm 135 verses 5 and 6 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. And reading verses like this, there are a few verses in the Bible that tell us God does what he pleases. I believe it's in Psalm 115, if I'm not mistaken. But Psalm 135, Psalm 115, it tells us God does as he pleases. His will is fulfilled. How did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. But then at the same time, there are people that will show great disdain and not liking when people say, well, let the Lord's will be done. The believers in, in the book of Acts prayed that when Agabus, which I'll talk about that in a second, when Agabus prophesied in Acts 21, I believe, over Paul about his hands being bound and that he would by the Jews and that he would be turned over by the Jews to the Gentiles. And the people began to beg Paul and plead with him not to go to Jerusalem. And he said, told them, he said, I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And basically at the end of that, after pleading with him and such, they realized that what he was saying and that they couldn't keep him from going. And they said, let the will of the Lord be done. When we pray and come in a, agreement with the word of God of what it says and how to pray, and we're praying, let the Lord's will be done. That is not weakness. That is coming into the submission 
under the word of God and to the truth of his word and to submission to a sovereign God who is loving, all-knowing, who knows what's best for us, and that all, he works all things for the good of those who love him, as Romans tells us, all things for the good. That doesn't mean that he takes everything that we think is good, that we deem that's good and for our benefit, and that he just uses those things. No, his will is fulfilled. My will cannot override the, will, the, the God of the Bible's will. There is no way for that to happen. And it helps me to understand personally as a believer in Christ and as a finite human being created in the image of God, a creature created by God compared to the creator of the universe, the omnipotent, all-knowing, almighty God, that my place is at the creation worshiping God and not trying to tell him what to do, not trying to say and dictate what the will is based on my preferences, my understanding, and what I desire, but understanding the sovereign, perfect will of God that will be fulfilled regardless of what anybody thinks and what regardless of anybody understands or tries to interpret or what they think the will is. Understanding that we cannot override God's will is freedom. Because then we begin to understand who God really is and that he is the real true living God that's spoken of in the word. When I talked about this analogy of bars breaking loose, another bar that broke loose from the cage was this huge tendency that I had as a believing in the word of faith. And the word of faith talks about the power of your words, the that your words have the power to create just like the very words of God. You know, Romans 4, 17 I believe that passage is misquoted quite often in what I came out of. It talks about that you call those things that aren't as though they were. And then when you actually read that passage in context, it has nothing to do with us. It is talking about the God who Abraham trusted, who could create, who called things that weren't as though they were when referencing the, the barrenness of Sarah's womb and that basically Abraham was a dead man and that they were able to conceive because God willed it and God said that it would happen and that's how the the promise came to be. But he, God himself, is the one that creates things out of nothing. We do not do that. We have the power to encourage people and discourage people with our words. You know, Proverbs 18 is another one that's used that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so when we have uh, this understanding that we have, we believe that we have the power and authority to speak things into existence. Again, we are not understanding scripture properly. We do not have that power. We are putting ourselves in the role of being a creator and making ourselves little gods. We're not little gods. We are the creation. Again, he is the creator. God is the one that calls things into existence. And there was such freedom in that. I didn't realize that how much bondage was in that because it places such a responsibility and a weight on us then that we have all this power and authority, but why aren't we using it? Why aren't we doing something with it? Why aren't we calling things into existence? Why aren't we speaking with authority? And then what happens when you're doing that and you're not seeing what you're calling into existence come to pass? We are damaging people's faith. We are, we are giving them a a blueprint of something to follow that's not even in the Word of God. We have to understand these things. I mean, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that God upholds all things by His powerful Word. He upholds all things. That the weight of His words, what He spoke, and it wasn't His faith that created. 
And again, when we read this in Hebrews 11, people will twist that scripture to try to use that and say, well, God had faith to do these things. No, he didn't. That wasn't what that was. He's God. He spoke those things to existence. We have faith to believe that he did those things. There's a difference when you read that passage. I encourage you, when you read Hebrews 11 and the beginning of that, and it talks about that the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it talks about how God spoke the world into existence, and by faith we believe that. We be- by faith we believe that God spoke the world into existence. That has nothing to do with God having faith. It has nothing to do with Jesus having faith to believe that he was the Son of God. I've heard that teaching as well, read that teaching. That's nonsense. That is not the Christ of the Bible. That is not Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He didn't need faith to believe that he was a son of God, and he didn't need faith to believe that he could set people free from sin. He was the son of God. He knew who he was. He, there was no doubt about that. He was all God and all man, and he came to fulfill the will of the Father. These are things we have to understand in context. Again, because if we get this wrong, we get the God of the Bible wrong. We begin to follow another Christ. We begin to follow another gospel. As Paul warned the Galatians about that we're being taught to them in a different way. This is very freeing to know that we do not have the power to create with our own words. Yes, again, we can discourage and encourage, but we do not have the power to create out of nothing. And to put ourselves in that position, I would dare say that that puts us in alignment with a Luciferian nature. Because Lucifer wanted to be just like God. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be exactly like God and to have power and authority. And that is a Luciferian thing to say, in a sense, that we can create and put ourselves on par with God. I said a minute ago I would come back to the issue with Agabus. And one of the things that I had come out of, and sad to say that I had done this, was thinking that I could teach people how to prophesy. And scripture does not support that. We know that 1 Corinthians 12, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts as he wills. We cannot activate them. We cannot impart them. And we cannot teach people how to prophesy. And we certainly shouldn't be telling people that you just need to spend a few minutes with them in a circle. Try to ask the Lord if there's something that comes to your mind about something they're wearing or things like that. About how to minister to them. Because that can be deceptive. That's not, that's not God. We can't prove that that's God. That could be another spirit in operation. And that's not the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is to ultimately testify of Jesus Christ. We are to testify of Christ, to minister and to testify of him. And Agabus in Acts 21 is something that is used quite often. It's misappropriated out of scripture. People will tell the account of Agabus and they'll say that Agabus prophesied falsely. That is incorrect. When you start reading either even later on a few chapters into Acts after Acts 21, you begin to see even from Lysias who wrote to Felix and was going to send Paul to him to settle the matter that came up in the synagogue with Paul that got him beaten and bound by the Jews and ultimately handed over to the Gentiles is that you see Lysias, yes, he was flowering his letter up to Felix but uh, and lying about things about what happened as far as on his end, 
because he didn't want to get caught in the fact that he had almost scourged Paul, even though he was a Roman citizen and was not supposed to do that. He ends up telling Felix in the letter he sends to him that the Jews arrested Paul and handed him over to them. He confirms Agabus's prophecy. Paul confirms Agabus's prophecy, as you read later on in Acts. And furthermore, when Agabus is ministering this in Acts 21, he says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that the Word of God is the God-breathed Scripture, that the Word of God is truth, and God is not a man that he should lie. And for Agabus to say, thus says the Holy Spirit, and attribute his words to the Holy Spirit, and then to say that Agab- what Agabus said didn't come to pass, I can't even tell you the, the amount of irreverence that there is for such a thing, and people that are still in that quote, ministry, or for myself coming out of that, the lack of respect for God and the lack of the reverential fear of God to say such a thing. Uh, there's a lot more that you can say about that whole thing with Agabus. And if you're looking at the Greek words, and there are people that could explain this much better than I could that are biblical scholars and such that you can certainly go to about this. But when we say such things like that, it's going to show that we're trying to prove a point. And the point is this, there's an agenda being pushed here that prophecy can be wrong. And that is not correct. The prophets of the Old Testament were held to a standard. The New Testament prophets were held to a standard as well. And that standard was that they spoke for God. God is not a liar. And they drew men to repentance. They turned them, they called them to repentance. They called them to come back to God and to serve him and to worship him. The message was no different. The difference is that the New Testament came and with Jesus Christ coming to fulfill the Old Testament and the words of the prophets that spoke of him and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell people repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has arrived. He is here. You have a way to be reconciled back to the father and be co-heirs with Christ by repentance, by grace through faith in Christ alone, through the one who will atone for your sins, the spotless lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That is the message that has been the message from the beginning is to draw men back to God and that there would be an atonement for sin, the propitiation of sin. And to say that prophecy can be wrong now, can be false, and it's okay, is deception. We are deceiving people, and we are telling them, well, you can practice, it's okay. Well, you can miss it, it's okay. God forgives you. We're taking this way too lightly, folks. We're taking it way too lightly. God does not take that lightly. When someone says the Holy Spirit said something and then someone goes back and tries to retract it and they try to say, well, I messed up. Well, thank goodness there's grace. No, you have lied and no one should ever listen to you ever again. Until you repent, you sit yourself down from ministry, you get yourself right before the Lord, you get some good solid teaching into you and you begin to understand the ways of God and to come into and bear fruit in keeping with repentance again is what we've already talked about a few minutes ago and begin to reverence God the way that you're supposed to in spirit and in truth. Let's just quell that right now that prophecy can be wrong. That's incorrect. And I would even say too, as I've said probably before in other podcasts, I believe in Deuteronomy 13, it talks about this, that even if someone is correct, that doesn't mean they're from God. That means nothing. If they're not drawing you back to Jesus Christ, the true Jesus Christ, the one that saves man and washes them clean and clothes them in his righteousness and conforms them to his image by his Holy Spirit, and saves them from the wrath of God, if that message is not being preached, the gospel is not being preached, that's not the same Christ. That's another Christ. 
And Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24 that there will be false Christ that would come. That doesn't just mean people themselves claiming to be Christ. That also includes people that are claiming to be coming on behalf of another Christ and teaching another message. So prophecy is not allowed to be wrong. It's not. And when it is and it misses it, like there was a lot of it in the past year that was off. Off is a nice way of saying it. When it is false, it does not come to pass. You don't need to listen to those people. And that's when I read this blog post excerpt at the beginning. You are not obligated to listen to false prophecy and you are not obligated to listen to people that propagate it. And we need to stop defending people that do it. And we need to call them to repentance because we love them enough to be truthful. And we need to, to tell them they need to come to repentance and saving faith in Christ and turn from those ways and to acknowledge and not be prideful and try to say, things to make excuses for it. We are not obligated to listen to these people. We are obligated to the word of God, to the truth of his word, and to preach that gospel. That's the obligation that we have to God. We are not obligated to people that are perpetuating and propagating false prophecy and making room for error. That's not correct. Some other things that the the freedom now received brings and the, the lies I once believed is that I had to have dreams, visions, and prophetic words to be relevant. It seems like that there's this push in the movement that I was in that if you didn't have the next fresh word or you didn't have the next new sound in your worship or you didn't have the next best revelation or the next best book or, you know, talking about different spirits and warfare and, you know, the list goes on and on and all these prophetic things and all these revelations and dreams and visions and yada, 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 and these manifestations of feathers and gold dust and different things, then you really weren't relevant. And you really just didn't know God. If you didn't have dreams and visions and encounters and, and such, then you really were not going to be very relevant to people because that's not exciting. That's not what gets people's ears. And we are scratching itching ears by entertaining such things more so than what we're feeding the sheep. We're really giving them junk food and we're, we're not, we're not feeding the sheep properly when we're giving them all these things and telling them to depend on things. This may step on people's toes. I once had this book and I threw it out, The Divinity Code. When you have books as a Christian that you have to decipher and interpret dreams and you're basing that information on man's interpretation of things, their own personal private revelation that they said that they've received from God that can be not be found anywhere in Scripture, but we're attributing this to these people who have probably, probably adopted these things from the occult from new age practices and such which when I say probably again that's being generous a lot of times they have then again we are taking on things that are not biblically based we are basically putting lipstick on a pig should I say and we're trying to call it something that it's not and we may need to go back to the word and understand prophetic dreams what happened with prophetic dreams in the Bible that they were not vague and if they were vague there was always an interpretation for them that was from God himself it was not cloaked in mystery to where it could be this it could be that it may be this it may be that just because a dream comes to pass again we need to test everything we need to make sure that it's found in scripture that it's of God and if it's not quite frankly you know we have the revelation we need in the word of God to help us as believers to understand how to walk as believers and God is not lacking in anything in that saw a quote recently by Charles Spurgeon that said if the Bible 
if, if scripture is silent on a matter, then you be silent. I thought that was such a good quote because we're always trying to add to, but at the same time, we don't want to admit that. A lot of people will say out of one side of their mouth, well, Scripture is the inerrant Word of God. It is the final authority. It's sufficient. And on the other side of their mouth, they'll say, the Holy Spirit told me such and such and such, and they'll put it on par with Scripture. They probably don't even realize they're doing it, and if they are doing it, they need to repent of it. But either way, when we say something that we're saying that God said this, and then you're not allowed to question it because, and you're putting that stamp on it, to say, well, God said this, and this carries weight and authority, and you can't question it, then we're putting it on par with Scripture, and we should not be doing so, because that's not Scripture. And then something else I had thought of in the past that's really frowned upon in some circles, just as one one final thing I can think of, is this speaking against false teaching or the, quote, anointed leaders, which, according to 1 John 2.20, all believers, all believers are anointed And that if you speak against leaders or if you come out from underneath a spiritual covering, that you're going to come out from underneath God's protection and that a curse is going to come on you, which seems really double minded to me because, again, it's this double speak. On one side of your mouth, we're saying, well, God is a good father. He doesn't do bad things to his children. He doesn't put sickness on them. You know, there's an example, these things that we'll say. But then on the other side of our mouth, we'll say, well, God's going to curse this person bad things are going to happen to them. They're opening up doors for the enemy to do things or, you know, God's going to punish them because they spoke against the leader, touch not the anointed and do my prophets no harm, which again is so abused in these circles. It's not funny. You can feel free to, there's plenty of people that have written about this. I've written a blog post about this, about touch not my anointed. That is misappropriated. It's used to manipulate and control people and to basically kind of browbeat them into where they won't say anything because they're afraid that something's going to happen to them if they speak against something or if they question something we should be discerning and not being labeled full of demons because we're using proper discernment based on scripture and based on the word or just asking questions and wanting to know if something seems off that's not being demonic that's called discernment there's a difference maybe that'll help break a bar off somebody's cage too is understanding just because you call out false teaching and do it in a right, the right spirit and doing it in a, in a way that you love people, it doesn't always come across as loving, but if we love people enough, we're going to tell them the truth. We're going to proclaim the truth. We're not going to um, shrink back from it. We're not going to be ashamed of it, but we're going to proclaim the truth because we love God so much that we don't want to abandon truth and we don't want people to go to hell. We don't want people to believe something that's a lie. And so speaking against false teaching or certain leaders, it does not bring a curse. If we're doing it in trying to glorify God and bring people to repentance, you do not need to be afraid that a curse is going to come on you, nor do you need to be afraid when you have left a church that you're coming out from underneath a covering. I am personally becoming more and more one of one of these people, and it probably is going to upset, <laughs> it would upset people, but I am becoming more and more of a person of, please show me that in scripture when you say that, and show it to me in context. And I mean that in the most loving way possible, because I have come to understand that more and more, the word of God as a Bible-believing Christian, the word has to take 
priority in my life as being the foundation of the truth that I stand upon because it testifies of Jesus Christ. That's how we heard the gospel. The gospel is laid out in the word of God. At least that's the true gospel. It should be found within the confinement of scripture. I mean, we could go on and on with the things, the lies that we believe. We could talk about the falsehoods of what tr- what prosperity really is versus what a lot of people in the church say that it is, you know, believing in God because you obtain temporal things that can rust or that moths can eat up, that we're not really storing up treasures in heaven, which again, another topic for another day. Believing that I can give enough and God's going to bless me in return. Yes, God is, he'll bless us with things and he can make us stewards over certain things, but the gospel should be universal in the in the message that it's preaching and ministering wh- wherever you go in the world, regardless of where you go, whether it's Africa, whether you go into the deepest parts of the Aborigines, where you're going into United States, which now more than ever is ever more clear that the United States is a missionary field in and of itself and really needs to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel should be able to be preached universally, the same message wherever you go and be applicable. What I mean by that is we should be able to go to any of those parts of the world, any place, and minister the same message, and it would it would hold true to standard. It would hold true that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father to be reconciled from our sin, that we are children of wrath, that we deserve the wrath of God before we, we come to saving faith through Christ, and that the only way to come through saving faith is to believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior and to turn from our wicked ways, to turn from sin, and to be clothed in his righteousness, and to become children of God. That message can be ministered, and the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just the atonement of sin, but we must also remember, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the death in accordance to our sins, in accordance with Scripture, the burial and the resurrection in accordance with Scripture. That's the full gospel, because this is not just about the atonement, it's about the burial and the resurrection of the king who is to come and he is to rule and reign and that the, his enemies will be under his feet and the earth is his footstool. So when we think about certain aspects that have been created in some of these movements, we've got to take things back to the word of God, to the truth, and to apply it in context. And so I hope that this podcast has been helpful in shedding some light in those areas. Again, this is not an inclusive list. Maybe that there's areas that I didn't even touch on that you have thought about. Well, what if this is a bar in my life that's created an invisible cage? Or this is a a shackle that has been created in my own walk that I didn't realize that was not biblically based and was really creating a bondage. You know, I've talked before about inner healing and there's certain areas that some Christians have believed and they will hold on to this till they, they'll die on that hill. They will hold on to certain things and say, but God did this and God did that. And I would just say, well, you need to test that. Your experience does not supersede scripture. And as I've talked about, like I said, with the inner healing and other things, we have to take things back to the root foundation of where they came from to see if they're even biblically based. And ultimately, it can be a hard thing that we have to reject things even though we love them so much. We have to decide, do I love the experience more than I love the Word of God? Do I want to try to validate and justify how I feel, how what I think, my opinion? Or am I going to allow the Scripture to 
be a foundation for how I conduct myself in my life. And when it confronts things in my life that are contrary to what it says in context and the truth of what it says, am I going to believe the Bible or am I going to choose my experience and what I believe and what my opinion is and hold it to a higher standard than I do the Word of God? Those are questions that you and I both have to ask ask ourselves as believers in Christ. And my opinion, my experience, my encounter, my dreams, visions, whatever I had in the past, they are not the standard of truth. The standard of truth is the Word of God, and that's the end of it. And what I'm supposed to do as a believer is I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether I'm proclaiming it in my home and, and testifying of it at, to my children, whether I'm sharing it in my writing, whether I'm sharing it on one-on-one with a person, whatever that looks like. When I'm sharing that in those situations, in those places, then I'm always wanting to give glory to God and I'm always wanting to tell the truth in accordance with his scripture because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've been made a co-heir with Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection and because of my faith in him to save me from my sin and save me from the wrath of God. It's not in my own doing. I can't boast in it. I can't earn it. There's nothing I can do for that. Just because if I prosper in this earthly world, that that doesn't mean that that the favor of God is on me because we, we see people all around us that are prospering financially and such, and they're wicked people. Just because we have favorable lives in material possessions does not mean that that's the favor of God. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. The Bible tells us that, and we have to keep those things in mind. So I could go on and on about this, but I'm not going to do that for time's sake. So again, I hope that this has helped you. Maybe it'll get you thinking, pray about some things, write some things down if you have to, things that you're questioning, and take them back to Scripture. Gauge them and just see if they hold water, if they hold up to the Word of God in context. And if they don't, then it is okay to discard those things and to reject them and to find out what the truth is. Surround yourself. If anything I've learned this past year, as I read before, is surround yourself with good, solid biblical teaching that's focusing on Jesus Christ, that's not drawing a crowd, that's not drawing men unto themselves, that's not testifying of them, that's not wanting to build their kingdom, but trying to to masquerade it as the kingdom of God, we need to make sure that we are following the true living Christ. Be blessed today by this message. I'll look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.